0: Welcome to my Best 11 podcast. Today we are joined by a man who has played in the World Cup, played three matches for Jamaica in the World Cup, um, which is amazing to have somebody of that stature on the podcast. Played for Chelsea, West Brom, Leicester, Burnley, Huddersfield, Lincoln, Wickham, Wrexham, and then played over 200 games, around 200 games uh, for Hendon, Colwyn Bay and Brackley. Today we are joined by by, as I said already, Jamaican international, Frank Sinclair. How are you, Frank? I'm good, thanks, Andrew.
1: How are you doing? Uh, good to see you again, Marvin. It's been a long time. I'm really looking forward to the show.
0: Excellent. Yes. So am I, and as are we. Marv, how would you know Frank, if you're allowed to let us know on air? Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, yeah, well,
2: to be fair, actually, I've, Frank's probably going to be one of the very few, well, he'd probably be the only guest who I've probably come up not against, but I mean, I'd probably say been out more socially rather than seeing him on the field. If that's
1: fair to say, would you say, Frank? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I didn't play. I didn't play with with Marvin throughout both of our careers, obviously. But we knew each other socially. We had um, mutual friends in the game. Yeah. You know, it's a close knit. It's a close knit um, um, sport where where it comes to when you socialize, you because of the trust issues with the game. And, um, you know, we generally sort of like mixed, you know, with each other and and that's how we became, you know, associates and and then onto friends after. I think, I think that's a that's a great point, Frank, you
2: know, you just said there, Andrew, because, like, with all the social media and stuff, what's going on, it, it, I'm not saying that back in the day when, like, Frank and I were out, what we were doing wrongful things or anything like that, but you wouldn't be able to do it now, like, socialise as much as how we did, like you said, like, not playing for the same team, like, not colleagues, but still having a great crack with a great bunch of lads
1: from different teams on the London London scene, wasn't we really? To be honest, yeah, absolutely. And you know, you touch on you touch on the social media um, impact that that's had on how private the players have to be now, because nowadays everybody's a journalist. You know, everywhere you go, it's that camera phone. That's all yeah. they need. So you have to obviously keep in mind that you're representing your football club your family at all times and um you know they have to look after themselves now i've got a young son that's a 20 year old young professional now very aware of the environment that he's in and and how he has to represent himself at all times
0: yeah no definitely you can see that even players on the pitch the way they all cover their mouths these days when they're talking because they know yeah, the, fact the cameras on them all the time it's really yeah. it's quite interesting to see and um but yes yeah, so um what we're going to do is those people who haven't listened to the podcast before. We're going to go through Frank's best eleven players he's ever set foot on a pitch with. Um, he's going to pick the formation and the players, and as we go through, Marv and myself. Marv's been doing amazingly since season two started, but hopefully, I can start to get some get some back on the on the on the on the scoreboard, um, and then at halftime. We to have Mars sixty seconds as well. With Mars going to fire sixty questions at Frank. Enough of me, Frank. Over to you. What yes. formation are you picking for your best eleven?
1: So the formation I'm going to go with is a three-five-two. Um, reasons behind that is because of the the players, the, the playmaking players in my side. Uh, I needed to get them all in the in the team. Um, hence why I'm playing with a, a sweeper system. It might give away a few clues to players that I've played with in the past who might well get in that system, um, but some fantastic players. Um, there's a theme to it, really. Uh, most of the players are from one club that I was very successful at. <laughs> so there's another clue. Well, <laughs> Apart from that, we'll okay. see that we get
0: on. <laughs> I'll beg on my phone to start looking at Colwyn Bay. But if you can... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No disrespect to Colin Bay, trust me. I, that wasn't offensive the of then. They were just the club I glanced to um, at that moment. So, goalkeeper then. Let's jump straight in. Goalkeeper-wise, yeah. and if you wish to make honourable mentions, you can.
1: Yeah, well, honourable mentions would be um, Tim Flowers towards the end of his career, who I played with at Leicester City. Obviously, he won the uh, Premier League title with uh, Blackburn Rovers what a goalkeeper um, came across in, you know, like I said, towards the end of his career, but he was the keeper that stuck in my mind when I finished playing and went into coaching about how, how important it was for goalkeepers to give players information. And he was the best I played with. When you talk about someone behind the voice behind you, um, guiding you through the game, giving you advice on when you've got time, who to pick up and that. And he was exceptional on that side of the game. when when I, when I went with him, but, I think, you know, if I played with Tim probably early on towards his Blackburn days, and obviously when he represented England as well, he could well have been my number one goalkeeper. But he's just been edged by someone who I believe I played with that was at at their best when I did play with them. So the keeper I am going to go with is the first clue I'll give you is he played in the 94
0: Cup final. Yeah, uh, that's Andrew, that's go on then, well, Andrew. I, no, um, go on. Go on. No, I'll, okay, well, next question. Now, I'll give a kind of clue myself then. I well, think, if it's a player, did he wear tracksuit hats all the time? Yes, he did. See? <laughs> okay. Yes, he did. So, answer is? Dmitry Karin, the Russian yes. international. Okay, I'm going to go back a second to my original point. If he's from Russia, Russia in my head is quite often a quite cold place. He moves yeah. to England, which is a little bit warmer. I mean, England's not <laughs> hot. Why is he yeah. wearing goalkeeper pants? What's he wearing? I mean, I think I can only name on one hand the number of goalies in the Premier League ever to wear trackie pants. What's that? What was it about?
1: Well, it wasn't about the weather. It wasn't. It was actually about um, a couple of knee operations that he had had. And he basically had really bad scar tissue on, on the top of his knees. So... The, the bottoms that he had, they had padded in the knees. And that's why he wore them. Rain, sunshine, 100 degrees, snow. Didn't matter what the weather was like, he would have them on. He wore them in training as well. So he had a few pairs of the same design thing. So it was more for, to protect the scar tissue on his knees. Because when he first came to the club, I was thinking the same. What's he got bottoms on in pre-season for? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and stuff. Good luck but, in winter. Yeah. So obviously you asked you ask the question. And it was due to, um, I think, you know, uh, knee operations that he'd had uh, throughout his career. And the, the bottoms were to protect the scar tissue. So, I did, um, Frank, I didn't actually play with Dimi, but he came to Luton I was,
2: when I was coaching. He came right. to Luton as a goalkeeper coach. Yeah. And what a fantastic guy he was, by the way. I mean, yeah. what, what for you made him stand out for him to be your goalkeeper? Wise, just wise. the
1: athleticism of him, because as you would know, Marvin, uh, seeing him down at Luton with you, he wasn't the biggest. He was only mm. probably 6-1, yeah. uh, at a push 6-2, um, but his athleticism, the way he used to come for crosses, come for corners, he had the best leap as a goalkeeper I'd ever seen. And he was just, at times, he was almost unbeatable in 1v1 situation, with the way that he could guess the right way that, yeah. uh, that <coughs> centre-forward was going to go. Um, he always used to pull out, pull out unbelievable saves in 1v1 situations. You fancied him more than the strikers that he came right. up against. So, you know, those were two things that stuck out for me. Obviously, he was at Chelsea, you know, I'd say when we was going through the transition of being, you know, a, a mid-table Premier League club to, to where where the football club's at now, he was at the right at the, at the beginning, the, the early stages of that. And um, you know, obviously, the first cup final we've been in in 30 years. Dimitri in 1994, unfortunately, conceded two penalties to Eric Cantona on the day. Um, but he was he was a fantastic goalkeeper, and as you said as well, a great character in the team.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And talking of that '94 final, um, I know, Marv, did you play against Dimitri then in the semi? Did you play in that semi final? No,
2: no, no, as. Um... Many Luton, <coughs> Luton fans will will probably agree. Marv was always injured. Marv, <laughs> for some reason, I mean, no, that season I was injured. I think like I might have done my um, Achilles that year. I was like ninety-two. Anyway, doesn't matter. I was injured. You were injured bar, for man, that. Was... So when
0: so when Frank played against, were you in that game in the semi-final then, Frank? Semi-final, yeah. A lot of our yeah. fans are yeah. Luton fans um, at Wembley. Yeah, Gavin Peacock broke our hearts, and Kerry Dixon and.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that was a massive game for Kerry Dixon, obviously, being a, a legend at Chelsea and then coming up against him. And that was probably the first time I played against Kerry Dixon. Obviously, I grew up a massive fan of his and then, and then obviously a teammate. And then he went on to loot and then came back to play against <coughs> us in that, in that semifinal. And um, I think, if I'm not wrong, it was the first semifinal that was ever played at Wembley.
0: Yeah, well, you that. know what
1: <clears throat> I was gonna I was gonna say that Frank because
2: we yeah. were, I mean not making excuses but we were, when we um we looked back we thought we 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 had done fantastic in every single round and and then when they said oh the game's going to be now played at Wembley and the whole day I can remember that the whole atmosphere was totally totally different for for the lads because it's such a it felt like a big occasion like a um a final sort of thing, whereas, like, we had gone to High, I don't know, Highbury or Villa Park or whatever it is. Villa Villa Park, yeah, yeah. I think we would have, we would have probably not as froze. We probably still probably might have got because obviously you guys were the better team, but it was just too much of a moment, an occasion was too big. Yeah, I I get
1: that. Yeah, I get that. And I think with Chelsea, I think it went the other way with us because we always saw ourselves as a sleeping giant and to be back at Wembley for the first time in many years, I think, you know, we almost took it in our stride. And I remember I remember being a, a little bit disappointed about the final, the semi-final being at Wembley because I was that confident that we were going to get to the final yeah. at Wembley. Um, that was the only thing that I thought it took the edge off the final as I was going into that game. I was that confident that we were going to win. I was thinking that's kind of took the edge off for of the final we're going to play. In. And that's the mentality right. that we went into the game in. But... Um, yeah, no, a great a great occasion, obviously, for Luton,
0: two London clubs, you know, to, to play in. Yeah, no, it was. It was definitely. So moving on to defence, you're playing three at the back. Um, yes. So wherever you I'll want I'll to start. Go the,
1: I'll go with the right-sided centre-half, first of all. Probably the most professional player that I ever played with. He was British um, and represented his country.
2: He, I, because there's, I mean, because when I done my research, there's so many players,
0: quality players you played with. I mean, I reckon, I reckon there's a coy clue by the phrase British rather than English. There's yes. a lot in that word. There's a lot in that word. People. I'm gonna go. I'm,
2: I'm gonna take a little <laughs> stab now of a guess of a trying to push another clue out of you, Frank. Is yeah. he? Is he now a current international manager? Yes, he is. Yes, come on, <laughs> come on. yes. <laughs>
0: Yes. Andrew, let <laughs> throw me. Let's yes. 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 throw me a treat. Great, great I was, player. I'm, great I'm not going to say who I think it was because it might be later on because okay, he's yeah, got two good, more right. to go. So is
2: a current international manager, yes. That should give you a clue, Andrew. That should give you a clue.
0: Current international manager. I assume then, Steve Clark. Oh,
2: correct. That's what I was. Guessing. Yes. Yeah.
0: Oh, that wasn't that wasn't where my mind was going, but Steve Clark, yes, excellent. Yeah. Sorry, I was just writing down Steve Clark. So, Top did you player. think? Did you? Yes, I mean, what's obviously you played? You've the majority of your career kind of left hand side, left, um, left of the centre. Is that right? Am I saying that? Uh,
1: I played the first couple of seasons at Chelsea. I played at left back, yeah, in back four, and that was purely because I've been playing in the reserves at left back because. I couldn't get in the reserves in my own position at centre half or right back because I had um, in front of me, I had Gareth Hall, who was a Welsh international, who was playing in the reserves. And then I had Jason Cundy, obviously we all know as the, uh, yeah. the Talk Sport host who's, who's brilliant on Talk Sport now, and David Lee, um, oh. who was a fantastic player as well. So when they were in the reserves and not in the first team, I was coming through. And the only position I could get in that team was playing at left-back. So I played at left-back probably in the reserves for about a year, a right-footed left-back who saw myself as a centre-half stroke right-back. Um, I, I played in, in the uh, reserves there and got my opportunity in the first team at left-back when Tony DiRigo got injured. And I got thrown in at the deep end at left-back because I'd been doing so well in the reserves. So when I first came into the first team, people actually thought I was a left-back which I'll take as a compliment because I was decent with both my feet. But obviously, uh, I had to adapt to defending on the other side of the pitch. But I thought that was a great education for my development.
2: That's uh, <clears throat> that's quite interesting because I, I am like a few years older than you, Frank. And like going back to what you've just said there, you, you mean you've mentioned like um, David Lee, who I remember, yeah. like tall... Um, yeah. gangly but unbelievable feet by the way for a big man, like yeah. comfortable yeah. in the ball, could hit a ping a ball from right to left. Then also Jason Conde um, then Gareth Hall. Yeah, you had all these players who I was playing against in the when we had the Southeast something junior Fuddit Cup. Sorry, we had right. so yeah, you coming through, how was it like knowing that maybe only a year or two years older than you were some players who. Still, weren't quite established in the first team because that's quite a big number of like defence defensive players there, which you still got to maybe if you. I know you've got a strong mindset, but didn't have that mindset. Still,
1: a lot to get through, so to speak, because you are not got what you are going to wait your turn, maybe. Yeah, no, um, <clears throat> I was quite focused on myself first and foremost, and I had massive belief in my own ability, Marvin. But the thing that I did have that was a tradition at Chelsea at the time was. Young players were given the opportunity in the first team. You know, there was, uh, I think, on well, my league debut was actually against Luton as well. I don't know if you really? remember that game when we were 3-0 down at half-time. Yes! We ended up going 3-3. Oh, yeah, my gosh, so yes. That was that, is, that, that, was that a, your debut? That was my league debut. And I played that left-back in that game. And saying that, the back four was probably, you'd do well to find a younger back four because the back four for that day was the exact same four that I've just mentioned. Myself, David Lee, Jason Cundey and Gareth Hall. So the three of them have established themselves as first-team players by then. In uh, what year? that Would that have be? been 1992, I believe? I made my debut at uh, right. 20 years of age. So so as I say, um, the belief was, was massive at Chelsea. With Gwyn Williams, who was doing the academy at the time, there were so many players getting an opportunity to play in the first team. Even before that, it, it had a tradition of that. So I really just believed in myself and I didn't really look at who was in front of me. I just right. thought about what do I have to do to get in this first team? And obviously I knew further down the line I was going to compete against who we started this conversation off with, the likes of Steve Clark, who was a main rival of mine at right side centre half and right back. Um, had to be patient to get my opportunity but I believe when I did get my opportunity, I kept him at the team for, you know, the, probably the last couple of years that he was at the football club. Um, you know, so it was it was about your self-belief and that. But Steve Clark going back to him, I just remember I used to watch everything he'd done every day because he was always doing the right things, stretching before training. You know, stretching after training, the way that he trained, the intensity that he trained at, that was my target. That was the standard that I knew I had to reach if I wanted to get in Chelsea's team. So from a, a very young age, my eye was always on him as, a, as, a, as an example to where I needed to get to.
0: Yeah, was, was he a talker in defence or was he a bit of a quiet one? And do you think that no, kind of influenced yeah, no, his he managerial was, career?
1: You know, well, very surprised that he went into management because he was always a man of few words, Steve Clark. But when he did give you information, you got it straight away. So he would say things to you when he thought you needed a bit of information. But generally, he led by example, um, you know, in the way that he conducted himself and the performances that he put in at the club. So he was a player that I couldn't leave out because he had so much of a, an effect on, on how I was as a player. Yeah, and. And also, was it was it just Chelsea,
2: Frank? I mean, I mean, as a kid, um, did you was there any other clubs who were interested in you, or did you tr- have like maybe a few or some players? There's oh, I trained at Arsenal for a
1: little bit, and then I trained at maybe Spurs. Was it always Chelsea? Yeah, well, funny enough, you said that about Arsenal. And that I went. So as an 11 year old, when I was playing district football, so obviously you couldn't really back in them days, you couldn't really join. Uh, a professional football club until you'd start senior school so first year of uh, your senior school you'd be 11 years of age and I was playing for in my first year I was playing for West London schools as well as my school team and that's where you'd get all the scouts watching games so when I was playing for West London um, I had an invitation from Wimbledon the old Wimbledon that used to be at Plough Lane at the time Um, Arsenal and Chelsea all within a couple of weeks of each other so I remember going to Wimbledon first and I trained with them on a sort of like a Monday or Tuesday night or whatever and at the time they used to train in the car park behind behind the goal uh, at the stadium so you're literally training on tarmac in a car park you know and obviously the cars are out the way cleared out the way but It was very um, amateurish, to say the least. And I remember going there and thinking, I'm not feeling this at all. Didn't enjoy the session. Didn't enjoy the session. So I went away from that. And then I went to Arsenal and totally the other um, end of the spectrum, indoor, on AstroTurf, in a dome. At 11 years of age, you've got to remember this now. Indoor, on AstroTurf and that. And the standard of the session was unbelievable. And I loved the session, but I just didn't feel um, as in I had an impact on the coaches. So right. the coaches had their favourites and players, all, they was all in their Arsenal kits and all that. And I just didn't feel that there was any, any attention given to me, uh, you know, on this trial. So I just, I just didn't feel it. But then I went to Chelsea the week after, the, the beginning of the week after. And oh my days, it was, I knew I was in the right place straight away. You know, the players that were there that were the same age group as me, um, high standard of players. Uh, We were training at Battersea Park at the time. So we used to train on the red grass, uh, the red grass, ashes, pitches at Battersea Park. And the standard was unbelievable. And I just felt so at home. The closest club to me, obviously, as well, because I only lived the other side of the river in South London, in Clapham. So, you know, it was a stone throw away, really, Chelsea, just the other side of the bridge um and I never went back to Arsenal never went back to obviously Wimbledon and I think from the first day I trained there for the next six years I probably missed a couple of training sessions Tuesday Thursday nights and obviously playing on a Sunday and that was for five six years um on that's the soon wow yeah.
0: that's incredible yeah. um and that yeah. obviously went on to the reason why you played knocking on the door of 800 games in your career um, because of that fitness level. So it's not surprising. We move on to the next defender. Who's next to Steve Clark?
1: Yeah, so I'm going to go with the, the uh, left side centre half. I'll leave the sweeper two last. I'm going to go with the left-sided centre half next. And he wasn't really known for this position, is my first clue. But I had to get him in my team because of his ability on the ball. Ability on... He, was he, he normally a midfield... Person, I know you touched on David Lee earlier, obviously about his ability on the ball, but I think this guy took it to another level.
0: Was he a French international? <laughs> you got me in the bag, yeah. <laughs> yes, he was. I wasn't sure if he played sweeper. I wasn't um, sure what he's like playing sweeper. Did
2: he? Did he? Did he? Um,
1: did he have a bald head?
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mister Frank Leboeuf. Correct. Yes. And it's
1: interesting that you touched. It's interesting that you touched on it, um, Andrew, when you say you thought I would have had him a little sweeper. He was that good on the ball that he quite easily could have been my sweeper. But I think when I do tell you who my sweeper is, you'll you'll understand that as a back three. But the thing about Frank Leboeuf was he was uh, equally as good as a defender as well. Um, A bit rash at times and dived in a little bit sometimes. But that was more, not his ability, but Sometimes he would lose his head a little bit his, in games. He his was passion. very passionate. His French he was passion. Bit, yeah, that's right. <laughs> he, he was very um, edgy, you could say, in games and, and really did, did play on that line, on that line of merely crossing it. Um, but but uh, a top player, he could play in any, any one of those three positions at the back, uh, right side, centre half or left side. But as Steve Clark was more naturally a right-sided defender, You know, I flipped him over. But Steve Clark often played left side of a three as well. So, um, you know, I could quite easily have had them two the other way around. But obviously a French international played with, uh, won trophies with him uh, at Chelsea. He obviously won the World Cup, won the European Championship, played in the World Cup final for France because I can't remember who got injured in French's team in the semi-final. And Frank Leboeuf had hardly played. In Desai, the
0: it was Desai injured
1: for it? No, Desai played. Desai yeah, played. Desai so whoever played. Desai, uh, who was the guy at the centre half that went to Man United? Nor- oh, oh Laurent, Blanc. Blanc. Yeah, Laurent Blanc. Laurent Blanc. Yeah. yeah, Blanc. So Blanc got injured in the semi-final, which yeah. allowed Frank Leboeuf to play in the final after having a bit part to play, you know, throughout the World Cup tournament. But obviously, he came back first day of pre-season the next season. He had the World Cup medal on. Turning up at training. <laughs> so we started giving him a bit of stick about that. Hang on, you only played in the final. <laughs> yeah, but he was obviously very proud. Um, yes. But no, a top, top player. Top player.
0: Fantastic. So next to, or oh, between the two of them, in sweeper.
1: Yes. So there could only be so one first, player. My first clue is uh, international and could play in this position and in midfield. Andrew, you got it?
0: No.
2: You've been sarcastic,
0: yeah? you? No, I haven't got it yet. Go on, keep going.
2: See? Are you being serious? Oh, go on, go on then.
0: Keep going with clothes, Frank. Do you want yeah, another he, yes, on
1: give him a
2: clue? Yes, please. He, he had long hair.
1: <laughs> yeah. he, had long he, was hair. More, he was more famously recognised for playing for another London club.
0: No, I'm still absolutely stuffed. I don't know why. Oh, go you on. know
1: what?
2: Do you know what? Hold on, hold on, hold on. I think. Mark hasn't got it either. I, uh, no, no, do you know what? i Was he? Was he an international manager as well?
1: Correct. Okay. Do you want another clue, Andrew? Yes, please. He, he managed his country.
0: He managed his country. I'm trying to think where you played. Um, it can't be Chris Coleman. He... It can't be Chris Coleman. No. He 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 he, he played for
2: Spurs. Yes. Correct.
0: I'm trying to think he was centre backs for Spurs around that time. <laughs>
2: Think about what he said about LeBeuf, right? And this player technically is ridiculous. Ridiculous. You're gonna kick yourself with
0: <laughs> No, go on, go on. Don't uh, yeah, go on. Right, so my last
1: to you. He was a player manager as well. At Swindon? At Swindon.
0: Are you gonna play Glenn Hoddle at Sweeper? Yes, 100%. of course.
2: Of course. 100%. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, know, do you know what, Frank? I, what, through yeah. it, what I thought myself, I thought, it, I thought it was thinking of Hullet as
1: well. You're not playing with Hullet. Well, we we could have been, played there. He could have played there. Very we. quick. Well, yeah. I, I we'll get to that. We'll get to that. I know, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. He yeah. Might, yeah. He might have a good chance of getting in the team, Marvin. <laughs> I
2: know, I know. I just realised when I said that. Uh, oh, do you know what?
0: I honestly did not have Glenn Hoddle down as that sweeping position. All I remember Glenn Hoddle for is that in the midfield in and the trickery and that type of thing. I i never had him down as a sweeper. That's, that's, what, well, abs- I, that's what absolutely threw me. Totally threw well, Glenn, me.
1: Glenn, Glenn, at the pinnacle of his career, was obviously one of the best midfield players that has ever come out of England. You know, yeah, And I, I say, alongside in, probably Gascoigne, um, could do everything. And it wasn't until, obviously, I worked with him because he came to Chelsea as uh, a player first and foremost and then ended up as player-manager at the yeah. football club, that I realised, one, how tough he was. Two, you're obviously, day-to-day basis, you're seeing the technical ability of him, um, passing range, short and long. Um, and he actually, when he became player-manager, he actually did play in that sweeper role, alongside myself and Steve Clark um, as the two wide men. Sometimes we had Erlen Jonsson there and Jakob Kilberg, who was two obviously a Norwegian and Danish internationals as well, uh, protecting Glenn Hoddle so that he could get on the ball and start um, playing this attractive uh, type of football that Chelsea had never seen before, probably since, you know, the 70s, really. And Glenn had a massive impact on that and played in that sweeper role. And to be honest with you, I, I've not played with a, a better midfielder strike, you know, a, a better uh, ball technician. Than, than Glenn Hoddle throughout my career and he was one that I wanted to get into my team I quite agree with Marvin Rude Hullet had a go there but he never had no discipline when he went when, <laughs> uh, when Glenn Hoddle first signed Rude Hullet Rude Hullet said to him I'll only play for Chelsea if I can play sweeper now he'd just left just been released by AC Milan as a centre forward so Glenn actually because he wanted to sign him that much and knew that he'd be, have such an impact on the football club Glenn Hoddle agreed to that. And it was very quickly that we realised he can't play sweeper for us. One, because of his technical ability, he needs to be further up the pitch because we're missing him assisting goals more closer to the goal. Um, But two, he had no discipline. He'd end up on the right wing, he'd end up on the left wing and it'd take about five minutes to come back, Marvin. So we always ended up going to a back four anyway. Do you know what I mean? So we very quickly, we pushed him out of that position. Glenn was more disciplined at playing that sweeper role and actually picking the ball up off of the goalkeeper and starting our attacks and um you know obviously more famous for being a midfield player especially at Tottenham and then obviously at Marseille going on to Marseille as well and doing it on the European stage but um probably the most technically gifted player I ever played with and when you see the rest of this lineup it's a, it's a big shout to say that wow Great. It, sh- it shows, um, if we- I'm just like right, while he was
2: talking there, I'm trying to think of another player who could do what he did and drop back. I, couldn't f- I can't think of another midfielder or another player with ability who could go and drop and play as a sweeper role, which Glenn did. I don't know if you can, mm-hmm. Andrew, or you, Frank. I mean, it just- I just can't think of anyone.
0: The only person who could have, but I don't know if he's got the size for it, is goals. Yeah. But he hasn't oh, got the I, size. He hasn't got the stature. Should be a sweep. No,
1: exactly. Because at some point, you're going to have to defend. And I don't think...
0: Yeah.
1: Paul Skulls was the best defender. You know, he used to dive in and and, and give yeah. away a lot of free kicks, you, didn't he? In the very,
0: races, frank, the right. very Frank Labur style. Yeah.
2: Actually, you yeah. just gave me when you just said skulls, it just gave me another player, who I think might have done them, who, who was at Man United as well, and was a midfielder at West Ham and Harris. Spurs. Yeah. Did he not play? Oh, did play yeah. Play? Did he?
0: Yeah. But I doubt he's not in the same league, whereas I'd have put Scholes. No. He's at least... So no, he's isn't yeah, getting to Hoddle. No offense to Carrick, but he's not near Hoddle, I don't think, technically. No,
1: not in technical ability, nowhere near it. Good pass for the board, see Carrick and stuff. No, but, but, but mate, we're on, yeah. on a different level. Hoddle, yes. yeah, a different level,
0: different level. Yeah, anyway, what we'll do is we'll pause there and then when we come back after the break, we will hear um, the five in midfield and the two in the four positions for Frank's my best 11.
1: Hi. I'm Kelvin Davis. This is Sean Dyche. This is Ricky Hill. My name is Kevin Nichols. My name is Mark Pembridge. Hi, my name's Rebecca Lowe.
0: Kevin Gallen. Hi, my name is Mick Harford.
1: My
2: name's Steve Davis. This is Ian Foyer. and Kevin Foley.
0: My name's Graham Alexander. And you're listening to... And you're listening to
2: My Best Eleven. My... My Best Eleven.
1: My Best Eleven Podcast.
0: Great, we're back for part two of my best 11 with Frank Sinclair. Next up, we have Marv's 60 seconds. So Marv's going to fire as many questions as he can within 60 seconds to Frank, and he's going to just answer them with quick, short, sharp answers as quickly as he can. So over to you, Marv. Okay, Frank,
2: if you wasn't a footballer, what would you have done? Boxing. Um, VAR or no VAR? VAR. Now. Um, (laughs) Penalties? Or golden goal penalties. Um, if you could change one rule in the game, what would it be?
1: One rule that the in the in the game now, I'd say yeah. the referee flagging when players are actually offside and not delaying it. Okay. Best player you have ever seen live in person. Best player. Oh, what a question that is. Um, God, live in person. Wow, Ronaldo, Brazilian. Okay, best ground you ever played at? i Oh, uh, have to go with Wembley. And favourite
2: other, oh, other sport apart from football? Boxing, is it going to be, boxing. I'm guessing?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, boxing. Excellent. Yeah. What is it about boxing?
1: Uh, I grew up around boxing because my brother, I had an older brother who was five or six years older than me, and um, he was an amateur boxer. I boxed boxed... Um, for an amateur football, uh, boxing club called Fitzroy Lodge, where some top boxers came out of it. The likes of David Hay, uh, Spencer on, and some British champions came out of there. And I was at a really young age. I, I used to go down with him, get on the get on the mitts and, and box with him. But then, um, you know, at, when I got to about the age of nine, 10, I had to make a choice because they were both on the same night on the same days. Saturday mornings or afternoons and I started to, you know, edge towards football um, and just kept my eye on it because, you know, I was obviously a massive fan of it. I, my, my brother travelled uh, the world um, representing, you know, um, Fitzroy Lodge at international level and stuff like that. And I used to go and watch him in the amateurs. He didn't end up going on to being a professional on that, but he was around the same sort of era as Nigel Benn, Chris Eubanks, the same weight as them. So, I'm pretty glad he didn't. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? But he was technically very, technically very gifted and, and tough. So, I grew up around that environment.
0: Excellent. That's really interesting. So, we get back onto your best 11. So far, we've got in gold Dimitri Kari, um, in defense, Steve Clark, Frank LeBeuf, and Glenn Hoddle. So, we're then going to go to wherever you want to across the five. If you want to start on the, the sides, if they're wing backs or. Wherever you want to go? So I'll start with the midfield
1: three and the holding midfielder. So my first clue would be he won the Champions League.
0: I reckon Marv's already said it. <laughs> I
1: don't know. There's
2: so many players. He I know he said most of them going to come from Chelsea, but there's so many players i got in my head. Did he win the Champions League as a with... manager? No. Ooh, okay. All right. It's not him. him. No,
0: it's not him. I've held on. I've held on to him because he's not a defensive midfielder. I know exactly where you're going, Marvin.
1: No, okay, okay. Funny enough, you said that he actually came to Chelsea as a defensive midfielder, but very yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, he was further. He was better further up the pitch.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's not him. No, he won the Champions. He won the Champions League. Okay, rude. Hullet. I'm just going to say it. No.
1: Oh. I think Rudolff won the European Cup. I don't think he won the Champions
0: League. Rudolet. Yeah, I didn't I know where it, if 93 chat. I didn't know around 93. 92, 93.
1: Yeah, that would have been the European Cup, wouldn't it? They have it been the Champions
0: League, I don't know where it changed. The ninety five it changed. Maybe yeah, changed later than that. Yeah. Um,
1: Good shout. Good shout. There's a trick in that he won the Champions League. Yeah. There's a trick hang in that.
0: Ah, uh, hang on. Oh. I'm gonna say Dennis Wise. Dennis didn't win the Champions League. I didn't know if he did as assistant <laughs> manager. No, I didn't know he was assistant <laughs> manager. I thought you were oh, giving who? us some... Wasn't he assistant manager at Chelsea? No. I was Is trying Dennis to Weiss play. It. Co-
1: Dennis Wise never coached at
0: Chelsea. Has he still not? I know he did Leeds, Newcastle. Millwall. Millwall, yeah. Oh, we got to the final with Millwall, didn't he FA Cup? Yeah. All right, I'll um, give you another clue. Was he, okay, was, was he clue. an international? Was he an international? No. Right. Mm.
2: <laughs> mm. Come on, Marv.
0: Yeah, of course. Oh. Go on, go. Just give the give us give the viewers not a clue as well. Go
1: on, then, go right. on, then. go on. That's just why I say it. Absolutely should have played for England at some stage in his career.
0: I thought you had it, Marv. Mm. Should have played for England.
1: Uh the and
0: Champions League thing—the like, like, thing that's thrown me.
2: And he's a holding midfielder. And he, and he plays there. This is
1: the way where you would play him. 100%. Did he? One of the best holding midfield players I ever played
0: with. What, Robbie Savage?
1: What? He no, didn't win he, the Champions League. Did
2: he, did he go on to be on the coaching staff at Chelsea? Yes. Did he score in a cup final for Chelsea? Yes. Yes! Come
0: on!
2: Well done, <laughs> Well
0: done! Well done <laughs> That's Dean
1: <laughs> There's
2: someone else as well. I'll give
1: you another clue, hey, Andrew. Who supported Di Mateo? Who was Di Mateo's assistant?
0: Now you throw me. Let's put that as misery. What? Uh, Eddie Jones, Newton. Eddie, Uton. Eddie Newton. Eddie Newton. Did he win a Champions League? Uh, yeah. Okay.
1: As <laughs> <laughs> Robbie, I thought that one as a as a, a first. That's two a good Frank. Project. That was good.
0: That was very clever. It threw me. Yeah. I was even going down the route with Jody Morris for a second when you started talking about that as well.
1: Yeah. Now Eddie obviously was. Um, Eddie was obviously Robbie Di Matteo's assistant when they won the Champions League. Um, Someone that I knew from the age of 11. We grew up playing school football together at district football um, uh, for West London and then for London. And he, he was a kid that was at Fulham up until he was 14 years of age. And every time I trained, every time I played with him for West London, I used to get onto him. Why are you at Fulham? Because you've got to think... Fulham in them days was sort of like the equivalent to League Two now. So I was playing for Chelsea, Eddie was at Fulham, along with another very good friend of mine, Udo Onwere, who, um, you know, ended up playing for Fulham. And we are all the same age group. And I just kept getting on to Eddie, come to Chelsea, come to Chelsea. And from the age of 11 and said, listen, I've been told that I'm getting pro at Fulham already. And I was saying to him, forget getting pro at Fulham, come to Chelsea, you'll get pro at Chelsea. You know what I mean? So it took me till he was that age to to convince him to come down, meet Gwyn Williams and and join Chelsea. And then obviously we done our scholarship together. Um, We made our debuts, you know, within weeks of each other. The only reason he didn't play in that looting game was because he got injured in training that week. So he missed the opportunity to make his debut. Um, Near enough, signed identical professional contracts, five-year contracts. As our first contracts at the football club, wow. so we were known as we was known as the the Blues Brothers, you know, for many <laughs> years at Chelsea. Obviously, Marvin touched on Eddie's one of Eddie's greatest moments as a player was scoring in the '97 FA Cup final. Um, I couldn't let it like I couldn't let it lie there. So obviously, I had to go and score in the League Cup final in '98 because I couldn't I couldn't let him have that one up on that upper one on me. So we had an unbelievably healthy. Um, rivalry where we pushed each other all the way through school, all the way through our youth football. Because Eddie was that good, he was a brilliant target for me to be better than. And um, you know, we pushed each other all the way through our you know young careers, and then obviously going on to represent Chelsea. Eddie obviously stayed at the football club and went into coaching, was assistant manager, um, was head of loans department, went on to to um, obviously manage himself. Um, at um, uh, Trasbonne Sport up until recently. So, uh, very probably my closest person that I know in the game. Excellent. I mean, Excellent. just
2: going back to what you just said there about, you, you touched on it earlier as well, Frank, when you was coming through, that Chelsea were renowned for like giving young players a chance. And again, you just mentioned yeah. there that Eddie would have made his debut if he wouldn't have got injured. Who was the manager
1: back then? Did so, the manager at they... that side was Bobby Campbell, God rest his soul. Yeah. Um But he was, you know, a scouser, uh, very passionate about the game, and unbelievably not afraid to play youngsters.
0: You oh, know, when no, you think
1: about either. when you think about the players that you know that I've got an arm, you know, it could the list could be as long as my arm of players that Bobby Campbell gave their debut to: Graham Lasso, Graham Stewart, uh, David Lee, obviously Gareth Hall. Uh, John Spencer, we John Spencer. Um, yeah. who obviously, when oh, yeah. play for QPR, uh, Andy Myers, Darren Barnard. Foster. Listen, the list is the list goes on and on and on. And um, you know, he was incredible because, like I said, all the kids at the club, you had a real belief that if you worked hard enough, and obviously, you know, you were gifted or technically uh, good enough, you would definitely get an opportunity if you were prepared yeah. to apply yourself in the right way. So do you think that's it's slightly disappointing now that the, the finances is in the
2: game has probably taken that a little bit away now from so many players coming through at Chelsea. And they're not just at Chelsea, at most yeah. clubs, I think, um, now that yeah, it's well a there's case there's with...
1: two ways to look at that, Marvin, because yes, it takes away from obviously the opportunity of breaking into the team at an earlier stage, but I think because of the finances in the game at that time, you wouldn't have so many players that actually made it that do now so obviously because of the under 23 program some people at some clubs like brentford for example are going with this um the project of the b team and a lot of teams are starting to follow that as well i think you get more professionals given an opportunity to become professionals but on the downside of that you know the competition for getting in actual first teams is very difficult for the young players in this day and age, especially, you know, when you're talking about elite football, you have to be sort of like in that one to three percent of uh, technically, um, you know, gifted players that actually right. get an opportunity to play at, at Premier, League, Premier League level, for example.
0: Yeah, and I know there's a lot of push at the moment, also oh, not a lot of push, there's a lot of publicity about the number of players in the England squad just in the last Euros that have actually come through and come from the Football League that have dropped down played there and then come back up. And I mean, even players yeah. didn't or, make it. Like, like, an Ollie, like an Ollie Watkins or, who didn't who dropped down, yeah. didn't quite make it. And then just come back up and he didn't quite get England squad. But yeah, it's, and it's I
1: mean you know, I've, I've been in coaching now, especially in academy coaching uh, for quite a few years now. And um, there is many different pathways to making it to, you know, what you perceive as the top for yourself. Um, or, or the target that you believe that you can realistically play at. And there's different ways to get there, you know. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know I'm, I'm seeing something in my own son at the moment, who uh, from the age of five was at Man United up until the age of nine. And then from nine to 16 was at Blackburn Rovers and got released by both clubs, had to face a little bit of adversity and then make the decision, where do you want to go? Which way do you want to go? Do you want to go and try other Cat 1 clubs and stuff like that? Or are you prepared to roll your sleeves up and go and work at a lower division and build your way back up? Um, We took the second option with him, hence why he went to Mansfield Town, who are obviously in League 2. Four years later down the line, he's a professional footballer that's broken into the first team, played over 25 games last season in League 2. And if you're doing that at 20 years of age, the big clubs will notice. So because for me, there's more value in playing senior football at a lower, a lower divisions than playing under 23 football. Purely because, 100%. Of, you, purely because you miss that actual, the game's meaning something. You know, you're playing with players at a young age that their mortgages depend on a, on a win bonus. And stuff like that and that's what these youngsters are learning about how important it is to win games I don't think you get that transmitted to under 23 under 18 football it's more about the development of the individual and the players yeah, yeah. and day the crowd
0: the crowds the competitive nature having to deal with stick having to deal with ab- yeah. abuse um Absolutely. hopefully the right side of hopefully the correct type of abuse but still that does build character so you're right so next to Eddie who have we got?
1: So, I've got uh, two players playing advanced of him. Uh, the one on the left-hand side, um, played for England. I think this is quite an easy one. Played for England is my first clue.
0: On the left-hand side? I can Of the three.
1: Of the three central players. The yeah. left side of the three central players.
2: Um, another clue. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to think. Go on, keep going. Uh, So, the second clue is he uh, he went on to... Management.
0: I'm just gonna say it again, Dennis Wise. I did, yeah, I
2: was gonna say, was he? Me? Yeah, it's Dennis Wise. I was, I was about to say. It.
1: <laughs> it's a difficult one with Wisey because if you throw in captain or anything like that, yeah, uh, very easily recognisable. <laughs> but obviously, Dennis throughout my time at Chelsea was the captain of the club. Um, uh, after Andy Townsend left and went to Aston Villa, um, and was quite a fantastic player, an unbelievable leader. Um, yeah. Brilliant with the youngsters coming through, and um, underrated as a as a footballer because of because of the 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 edge and that tough man sort of hard man sort of image that he had. It almost took away from his technical ability. But for me, one of the best passers I ever played with, and obviously he loved getting his foot in. Um, definitely went overboard at times. Um, but, you know, ranger passing, crossing, assisting goals, set pieces, unbelievable uh, technical ability.
0: Yeah, what was he like as a captain? Was he very vocal? And it, oh, I, yeah. I, I assume he was vocal yeah. in the dressing room, but was he one of these captains that liked to get the new boys out and get them really close together and tight-knit group? Yeah,
1: 100%. It, obviously, he came from that Wimbledon crazy gang background before he came to Chelsea. So a lot of it was about where he had just come from, was about the character of the individual's that played for Wimbledon. He brought that to Chelsea to a certain degree. Um, obviously, we didn't follow in that, you know, that sort of like that Wimbledon style, but he certainly brought a bit of the, the characteristics of, you know, wanting to win games, being tough, um, being resilient. He didn't mix his words on the pitch. If you had to be told something, it'd get under your skin. He would tell you, but then he'd be the first one in the players bar after the game to buy you a pint. So he didn't, it didn't carry on with him and that's why you respected him so much as a captain because you knew he was telling you because it was something that would benefit the football team.
0: Yeah.
2: Definitely underrated. I mean, like you just said, I think it wasn't until I saw... I mean, everyone knows him at Wimbledon. Like, you I mean, technically, free kicks, like set pieces. He was dangerous. He could put the ball on a sixpence. But Absolutely. because of the way how Wimbledon played, they get the ball forward. You didn't see the technical stuff, how good he was until he came to Chelsea. It was like, oh my gosh, this guy, you can't get the ball off him. Literally, yeah. twisting and turning and his range of passing, like you said, was
1: like fantastic. So, until yeah. he actually went and to I, Chelsea. I, I brought him inside right. because he obviously, he started his career more of a, of a, a winger. Didn't he? he played for Wimbledon he used to play in a four-four-two system most of the time they did. And he'd play either side, right or left. Um, but, He never had that real change of pace to beat a player. He would always check out or nick half a yard and get the ball in the box. But, you know, the the quality of of ball that he had to get in the box in them days, when you've got people like Alan Cork and Big Fash in the box (laughs) challenging, it didn't have to have that much quality on it. Just get the ball in the box, you know what I mean? (laughs) But um, obviously when he came to Chelsea, I think he, he slowly drifted more into a central area where you could really see... The, the best of his passing range. And, and um, you know, he assisted so many goals for Chelsea over the years that, you know, I certainly played there. Unbelievable. And a great captain. He would definitely be my captain of that team. Oh, okay. That's
0: a big shout. Big shout. So next to Dennis, or sorry, the other side of any De- Eddie, Eddie, probably actually.
1: Yeah. So the person on the other side, I don't think it will be too difficult for you to, to um, guess this one, but he won. European Footballer of the Year, Dutch. Yes.
0: God, keep going. Know, we all know who it is. Yeah, it's fine.
1: Yeah, uh, obviously, Rude. Play for Holland, AC Milan, legend, massive, yeah. uh, world, world class footballer, and I don't use that word lightly. But did he change the fun.
0: dynamic of Chelsea with the greatest respect when he came in? Did people suddenly, and I think fans did this, but did it happen in the dressing room? Where people yes. went, oh, we can get people like Rude. Wow. Did it yeah, did that I have that, that much was, of a gravitas?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think when we signed Rude Hullet, it was a statement that this club means business at the top end uh, of of English football, certainly. Um, you know, because you'd obviously just left AC Milan, um, a world recognizable figure in the game. And it, like I said, he came to Chelsea under Glenn Hoddle, I think. If Glenn Hoddle wasn't the manager, he, Rude looked up to Glenn Hoddle. That's how good Glenn Hoddle was, by the way. Yes. Rude looked up to Glenn Hoddle as a footballer when he was coming through. And he actually, I remember him saying, if Glenn Hoddle wasn't the manager of Chelsea, I would never assign there." It was because of what his admiration for him as a player himself, what made Rude come to the club. And also when he first came, we touched on it earlier, he had disagreement with Glenn Hoddle that he wanted to play sweeper. Um, he explained to Glenn that he started as a sweeper at... um Was uh, it no. At Feyenoord. At Feyenoord. Yeah. He started as a sweeper and then gradually went further up the pitch as he got older. So as a young player coming through at Feyenoord Academy, he played as a sweeper. And then he played in midfield. And then he ended up obviously playing uh, centre-forward. And moving on from there and, and the rest is history. So he wanted to go back to that origin of where he started because of his beliefs on how he thought football should be played, as him being a frustrated attacking midfield player or, or a striker that played in teams that they didn't really build build up because he was so big, six foot four, lightning quick, unbelievable on the ball, could score with his head, could score with both feet. He tended to get sort of like the ball played to him directly from front to back. And because he was big, having to have have to deal with that. And that wasn't his beliefs on on how the game should be played. He wanted to play through the thirds, you know, a lot like what we see in the modern day game now. So he wanted to be at centre centre half uh, sweeping and doing that. But like I said, the problem he had was once he started the moves, he still wanted and had that hunger to score the goals <laughs> as well. <laughs> so, which was a massive problem because he left myself and whoever the other centre-half may be at the time, he left us quite exposed uh, because obviously we're playing with two full-backs that are very adventurous in getting forward. So at times we only had two at the back and sometimes Eddie Newton um, playing in that holding role, um, which left us quite exposed at times. So um after a... After a trial period of trying it, we, you know, Glenn Hoddle made the decision to push him a bit further in the team, which <laughs> he was very successful as well.
0: Yeah, and and was he player manager there or just straight manager? I can't remember. Did he go straight? He was
1: there? he was player manager after Glenn Hoddle. So Glenn and was what was Glenn
0: that like regarding that. discipline? You say that he's somebody who quite likes to start it and then pass the ball. He's got obviously his tactics, and from what I understand, he's he's well, very good tactician.
1: Yeah, obviously, when he became player-manager, that did become a little bit of a problem because obviously Glenn Hoddle went on to become England manager and Ruud Hullet took the Chelsea job as player-manager in the same fashion that Glenn Hoddle had it. And that became a little bit of a problem because now you're judging or now you're assessing is he putting the team before himself when he picked himself and, and played himself still as a sweeper because when Glenn went, he went back to playing as the sweeper in the team, but he's picking (laughs) the team now. So there was sometimes friction. I I wouldn't lie about, you know, um, his man management and that side of it. Obviously, you couldn't question his knowledge of the game and what he'd done in the game, but it did cause frictions at times. Hence, when, you know, he obviously left the club um, after a a season and a a little bit, and obviously... uh, Gianluca Vialli took over as player manager after that.
0: Yeah, no. And, he, and of course, coined the phrase sexy football as well. So he was always pushing that absolutely. Was he? In, the, in the training ground, was he? Yeah. Trying to push, like you said, on the ground, passing the ball. And... Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And, you know, obviously, Glenn Hoddle came in with his ideas. And I think Rude Hollett obviously was a part of that. And then, you know, he took it on from there. And I think they all played... Their part, but it originates from Glenn Hoddle, as far as I'm concerned, because before Glenn Hoddle, we hadn't had a manager at Chelsea that wanted to play in this
0: specific way. Yeah. Oh, excellent. So you got those three in the field. What are we yeah. doing? With the, are we playing wing backs or are we playing uh, wingers? Yeah. So
1: two wing backs, uh, very attacking-minded players uh, that could also defend. I'm going to start with the right-sided wing back, and my first clue for him was, uh, he was an international.
0: I know exactly who this is, because this is one of my favourite players as a kid growing up. I don't know Romanian, why, but Romanian? He was. Romanian? <laughs> yes. Correct. Yes. Correct. Yes. Sheffield Wednesday? That's correct. Yes. Dan, not maybe, Dan Petrescu. He's yeah.
1: oh, a Dan baller. He's a baller. A baller. Yeah, when you think about, about wing-backs, I'm not surprised you got it straight away, because for me... He was one of the best in the world when I played with him at Chelsea, obviously coming from Sheffield Wednesday. Um, he just seemed to be able to find time in any game. You give him the ball and he was in in the most hectic game going. When you gave him the ball, he found a way to find time on it. And it was like, it was just unbelievable to watch. He was so composed, used to assist, used to score goals. Um, terrific athlete, got up and down and just... Uh, Silky smooth, silky smooth technical ability. That's the best way that I could, I could put him down. And obviously, you know, for me, he was one of the best that I played with in in that particular position as a
0: right wing back. Oh no, I like I said, he was one. Of my, I don't know why he was one of my favourite players in the nineties. Yeah, obviously I remember to, him.
1: Went on to manage as well. Um, obviously, yeah. he's done very well as a manager in the game as well. Dan Petrescu, as uh, in Romania with a, in at, at a club level. Um, and he's obviously managed around the world as well. So in China, I believe, as well, and stuff. So, you know, he's took his beliefs and, and stuff into into coaching and management as well. A lot of these players have. I don't I can't see But there's only the only person that hasn't stayed in football as in a coaching or a management capacity in this team, who obviously went on to be an actor, was is
0: Frank LeBouff. Yes, yeah. We'll look at it. Yeah, you're right, actually. Yeah. So left wing back.
1: Left wing back. Uh, so my clue for him was he won my first clue is he won the Premier League yep with another club was it Blackburn correct
0: yes go on Andrew yep yep sorry Graham Lasso.
1: yes Uh, not surprised that uh, you got that very early as well obviously Uh, Graham Lasso was a left back stroke left winger but for me the perfect position for him was left wing back because he was athletic he got forward got crosses in the box. He wasn't the best of defenders, hence why, you know, he fits in this team perfectly because he's got, you know, the defensive backup from Frank Le on that left side as well. Um, fantastic athlete, someone who I knew. He came from Jersey over to England, but he didn't do a scholarship with Chelsea. He signed as a 19-year-old, so he just missed his scholarship and sort of like in his second year when he would have been a scholar he got a professional contract. So he kind of grew up as one of the players that come through the academy anyway, um, because he was there longer than that, but decided to stick with his education rather than doing a scholarship. And um, terrific young, terrific person, obviously gone into the media side of the game uh, himself, Graham, so he's another one that didn't stay into coaching or management, should I say. Um, but uh, top player, um, top analysis and... And uh pummed it now as well, and obviously played for England many times as well.
0: I definitely played in the same World Cup as you did. Um, of course, Correct, for England. He yeah. played in '98. Yeah. Just talk us through how that call-up happened and um yeah. how, how how it felt to be at a World Cup finals.
1: Yeah, so it was a difficult one for me really because obviously growing up, uh, always wanted to play for England. That was my, my ambitions. Um, And then when I got to sort of like 22, 23 and saw the likes of Gary Neville, Phil Neville, who were younger than me, um, getting opportunities. Rob Jones, obviously, at Liverpool, was the same age as me, a fantastic player. So I I looked at the players that I was competing with. um, I looked at myself where I was, you know, in in three seasons. I'd won the FA Cup, the League Cup and uh, the Cup Winners' Cup at Chelsea and still not being called up by England. And um, the only experience I had of being in and around an England squad was under Terry Venables in 96, before the Euros, I was called into the squad to train with the boys, to make numbers up, really. And, you know, once I came up, there was the likes of Gascoigne, Redknapp, uh, Alan Shearer, Teddy Sheridan, and that group that actually went on to play in that Euro 96. I trained with them building up towards it, and I thought I'd done really well. I held my own and didn't feel out of place. And I thought maybe off the back of that, you know, the opportunity might come for myself. And it never did. There were some good players in that, you know. Even
0: with he, even with Glenn Hoddle, of course, taking over as even well. Even when
1: Glenn Hoddle took over as well. Yeah, I never got that opportunity. And, you know, obviously he had the choices of, like I said, the Man United boys and Neville's, etc., and some top players. So, um, you know, when it came to 98 World Cup, uh, Jamaica had already qualified. And um, I just got a phone call off my agent saying that the Jamaican Federation had got in touch and their plan always was when they qualified for the World Cup to seek the um, the English-based players that, you know, had heritage and was able to play for Jamaica to add to that squad, to go to the World Cup, to, to make them obviously compete at a better level. So I had that phone call. I thought about it. It was something that had never crossed my mind before. Um, and my biggest concern was when I spoke to the manager was how was the other players going to take it? The ones that obviously got them to the World Cup because I put myself in their shoes. I wouldn't be happy if I'd worked over two or three years to build you know, a nation to qualify for a World Cup and then lose my place. You know, I think I'd be pretty devastated by that. But he made it pretty clear to me that the players always knew that could be the case, that just because you've qualified to the World Cup, that didn't necessarily mean you were going to be in that final squad that got into the World Cup. There was still going to be competition for places. So off the back of that as well, I was obviously made aware of the fact that if the likes of myself, Marcus Gale, uh, Darrell Powell um, joined the squad, it would give the opportunity to the home-based players to be recognised on this platform and for them, be able to go into professional football all around Europe. So we were putting them on a platform. The responsibility of of joining the Jamaica side was one, to play in the World Cup and obviously do your best for for the national side, but two as well, a big responsibility was to get the likes of Ricardo Gardner, for example, who after the World Cup signed for Bolton for almost 3 million pounds, giving them that opportunity the Federation felt like having some English-based players and the team being being judged as more with more respect and, and uh, that then it would help the players long-term in Jamaica. So that was a big decision for me to make. And because of that edge of it as well, that's when I decided to play. Um, and it was an experience of a lifetime that obviously I wouldn't have had without that opportunity from Jamaica to play in a World Cup, to go away for five, six weeks and prepare, prepare for a World Cup, to play in the Gold Cup in, in, uh, in America and play against America in front of over 100,000 um, supporters at the at the Orange Bowl, for example, and stuff like that. You know, there was incredible things that came out of it. I played against the Brazilian Ronaldo um, in a South American tournament you know, played against the Brazilian Ronaldo as well and and the likes of, um, you know, the great players that played for Brazil as well because I played against Brazil twice uh, for Jamaica as well in, in competition. So it was something that I didn't regret. Um, and um, obviously, you know, the country, you know, it, it took to all of us unbelievably once we had qualified and once we had represented the country. And like you said, Andrew, you know, I played in all three games and I think we were the first country to go to a World Cup. We were the first country to go to a World Cup and actually win a game. That's how, that shows the standards of where the World Cup's at. When we went to the World Cup in, in, um, in uh, sorry, Caribbean country, because I remember yes. as well, Croatia, who beat us in the group stage, was the first country to go to a World Cup and actually win a game. Yep. So um, we game, were the first yeah. Caribbean country to win a, a, a game at a, at a World Cup as well. And, you know, we played obviously Argentina, Croatia, and we beat Japan in our final game.
0: Which is amazing results.
1: It is probably, I mean, just listening to you, to you just talk there, frankly,
2: it's probably arguably the, the biggest stage that any player could probably be playing um, for their country on, with the best players in the world the World Cup. And I'm yeah. just like listening to you there. And like, one of my best or my favorite players growing up, didn't even get to do that. Although though he played for his country, he never played in the World Cup. British player, do you know who that I'm thinking of? Uh,
1: would that be British player yeah. never played in the World Cup?
2: Yes. and that so would, have one to of be, the...
1: would have to be someone that didn't play for England, so. Best, great dribbler, great dribbler.
2: One of the best dribblers, unbelievable. George Best? Yeah, George Best. Yeah. Never, never get you've played in the Cup. World
1: Cup. He's never ever
2: got to play in the World Cup. Isn't it? And what a player!
1: So it just shows, you know. Uh, obviously, it just shows the, you know, how difficult it is to actually qualify for a World Cup. Exactly. he couldn't do that with his Irish side. Um, but like you said, you know, um it is. It's uh, when you grow up as a as a young man and you're and you're embraced in football. There's things you want to do. You want to play for your club, probably your local club as you grow up and you have ambitions to do that. You know, you want to play for your national team, you want to play in a World Cup and you want to play in an FA Cup final. Those are the things that you see as a youngster and you look at it and you go, I want to do that. You know, yeah. and I was um, I was lucky enough to do all of them.
0: Exactly. Fantastic. So, right. strikers, who are the strikers or forwards who got you there?
1: Yeah, so my strike partnership, very difficult. Uh, you know, oh. I can pay homage To some players that I did play with, you know, Roberto Mancini, uh, Emil Heskey at Leicester, um, terrific player, Tony Cotty at Leicester City, um, some fantastic players, internationals at Chelsea that don't get in this two, that played in World Cup, played for their countries. But the two that I've gone with, I'll go with the first one, I'd say more of the player that has more of a free role as one of the strikers. As my first clue, was he manager
2: of the yellow team? <laughs> Frank doesn't know who the yellow team is. i wonder he what is. you're saying then. Yeah,
0: yes, he did.
1: He did manage. He did go on to manage. Correct. The yes. well, team your beginning. Rivals, yeah, I guess. Yeah, the yeah. team. That's, yeah, it. that's yeah, what you're yeah. saying. The team. This yeah, yeah, the yellow right, team right, down the road.
0: Yes. yes. Zola,
1: Gianfranco Zola. Obviously, yes. you know, arguably Chelsea's best ever player. I think he got voted that in the Millennium. Um, came to this country around the same time as Rude Hullet. I think he was just a little bit earlier than Hullet because Rude Hullet signed Gianfranco Zola. So obviously a little bit after uh, Rude Hullet, but he had the exact same impact as in when we signed this player, you thought we were going to another level again, you know, uh, as a football club. Um, You know, he was the understudy to Diego Maradona. So, (laughs) you can't get any more of someone to learn your trade-off than the great Maradona. And um, hence, the way he played, free kicks, everything he'd done, that Maradona done with his left foot, Gianfranco Zola was able to do with his right. Incredible player. Um, Great man. So humble. Used to be, he would, he was the star of the team, but he'd be taking the balls out to training and stuff like that. So... He never acted like a star, even though we all knew that is the main man. Right. He used to be the one that would get the balls, collect the cones, you know, move the goals. So he never had that, you know, that um that uh arrogance about his ability. Um and probably the best player that I ever played with.
0: Oh, right? definitely. He's a fantastic and um. I mean size wise just to let some of the kind of the people who listen to the podcast or kids who kids who may listen as well, Jeanfranc was yeah. never the biggest player um, yeah. is that something that should deter people um, and deter players no
1: it's, or is it- no it's a it's a big it's a obviously a big conversation in youth development where a lot of technically gifted players probably in the past would not get the opportunity to. Developing an academy because they were smaller than everybody else. Um, I think nowadays uh, football in England certainly is moving away from that, and you're finding ways to keep them in your system, whether you're dropping them down in age so that they're comfortable, and then bringing them back up when they when they have a bit of a growth spurt or whatever it might be. But a lot of players used to miss you know the boat because totally just because of of the size of them. And for me, it's crazy because. In the development of a player, if you're smaller than everybody else, just to survive in the environment you're in, more often than not, you have to be technically better than everybody. You have to have a better first touch. You have to be able to move the ball quickly because if you don't, you get pushed aside. So I believe that those players that are um, behind in maturation, for me, they become the better players further down the line once they catch up in maturation. And I think you know, youth development has gone that way now. Um, you know, the years of when we grew up, Marvin, and, and in the game, it was the biggest and the strongest and the quickest, Were the ones that got the opportunity to play at youth level and stuff like that. Um, Gianfranco Zola was five foot four, um, very strong, low to gravity. He used his size um, in, as his advantage because of the change of direction he could do. And you just couldn't live with him. You couldn't live with the way how quickly he moved the ball and the change of direction that he had. He embarrassed uh, many a top defender in this country, that's for sure.
0: Uh, Definitely, definitely. So next to Gianfranco is?
1: For me, the perfect partner for him. Won lots of trophies. Not just that, the club that I've picked him to play for, but uh, where he played with me, but won trophies at other clubs as well.
0: Was that Barcelona? Yes. Man United? Yes. But never won a trophy for
1: Wales. <laughs> yes. Never played. Never won a trophy for Wales. I don't think yeah. he... Did he play in a European Championships in Wales? Or probably not. I don't, I don't think, think I he qualified.
0: Don't. No, no I, don't, I, don't think, the, I don't think the Welsh did, despite having a laugh at England for had. losing.
1: Yeah, which was which was a shame, really, because with his ability, yeah. Mark yeah. Hughes yes. uh, should have graced the world stage and certainly the European stage as well. Uh, for me the best ball for Gianfranco Zola technically the best player probably I could I could argue the best player as a centre forward I've seen play with their back to goal Mm. incredible holding the ball up and bringing players into play and one of the best volleys of the ball as well finishes when you look back at some of the finishes for Barcelona for Chelsea you know Man United as well uh, an unbelievable technician when it came to uh, finishing on the volley.
0: Yeah, you just think back to that kind of early 90s. There were so many amazing strikers with um, Lineker, Hughes, Beardsley, Saunders. I mean, the British, Britain was blessed with so many of them, weren't they?
1: Absolutely. And then you, you can even go a little bit further along the line and and look at the, the period of Alan Shearer, Ian Wright, Les Ferdinand. Yeah. Um, you know, Teddy Sheridan. So, you know, we have been blessed with some top, top, top strikers over the years. And, um, you know, you, I played in an era where, you know, one week it was Ian Wright, next week it was, um, I don't know, Robbie Fowler, you know, um, (laughs) and just top players. Week in, week out, you were playing against top players. Alan Shearer at Blackburn with Chris Sutton as a partnership and, Everywhere, you know, you always knew that every week you were playing, whether they played with a, a, in a partnership, which was more often than not. You knew one of that partnership was probably world class, you know, yeah. uh, every week when you played in the Premier League and, you know, you had to be at your best week in, week out. No, definitely. Did you play with you? I mean, you
2: left, uh, like you said, you had so many players you could have chose from. Viali was Viali. Did you play with yeah. Viali?
1: Gianluca Viali was obviously another top player that came to Chelsea, probably a little bit past his best by the time he'd got to Chelsea. Physically, he'd lost that, that change mm. of pace, but he still made unbelievable runs. And every time I, you know, my experience of playing with Viali always used to bring me back to imagine what he was like when he was 23, 24, 25, <laughs> when he still had that pace. Because he used to make great runs in the Premier League and still get him when he wasn't mm. particularly that quick. So when he must have been, you know, at Sampdoria, for example, playing with Rudolet and that, and making those runs, but was quick as well. Core, I wouldn't have liked to have played against him in them days because he was very intelligent as a player.
2: Did you play another um, player who went to Chelsea? Big Luton legend, Big Mick. Did
1: you play with Mick? Yeah, Mick, Mick Arthur. (laughs) Another man that led the line. Ruthless, you know, brilliant. (laughs) Brilliant. Another guy that... Wasn't recognised as much for his technical ability because he had this hard man image, because he's a hard man image, but he was another one on the same, in you'd say in the same sort of category as a Mark Hughes, uh, led the line, one headers, unbelievably uh, brilliant at volleying as well. His finishing from volley was excellent. And obviously, another one that came out of Luton was Mark Steen as well. Who's not Steen, yeah, Mark side. Steen. Yeah. Mark Steen I mean, yeah. There's Chelsea. There's incredible. So many great strikers. I mean, I
2: remember playing against um little Scottish guy. Oh, my gosh. John yeah. Spencer. Spencer.
0: John Spencer. John Spencer. Yeah. No,
2: no, 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 no. Before that time, he was at Norwich. Oh, Robert
1: Fleck. Fleck, Robert Fleck. Yeah, yep. Robert Fleck. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, don't, I mean... Played
0: with some top strikers. I, yeah, yeah, Tony
1: Cascarino. Most of them. Yep. Generally, most of them come out of Chelsea because that was the most successful period in my, in my career. But I obviously went to Leicester City and played with some, you know, some top players, Neil Lennon, is it who grew up through the Prudy academy at Chelsea with me. And then obviously, Emil Heskey, uh, Roberto Mancini, came on, on loan to, to Leicester City when, when I was there as well. Um, Les Ferdinand, played with him at Leicester. So some real top, you know, the emergence of Emil Heskew ended up going to Liverpool for eleven million pounds at twenty years of age. So some real top, top players that I've had to leave out of this team, but yeah. I've gone to a side which, you know, I had my best time in my career. I think is only right to pick the players
0: that, you know, was in and around that that period. No, uh, definitely. 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 So um, that's your best 11. What we always like to ask now is who is the best manager you've ever worked under?
1: Um, Yeah, that's a difficult one because, again, I had Martin O'Neill at Leicester City. Incredible manager. Um, I worked at Chelsea under Glenn Hoddle, Ruud Hullet, Gianluca Vialli. Before them, Dave Webb, Bobby Campbell, who had a massive influence on my career and gave me my debut. Really difficult. I think if I had to pick one uh, because of, I believe they got the absolute best out of me as a player, uh, I would go with Martin O'Neill.
2: Okay.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. He obviously signed me after the World Cup, um, you know, at a time where I was at Chelsea and only thinking about where Chelsea were going to go from here because we'd just signed in the summer and we started pre-season. we just signed... Uh, Marcel Desailly we just signed um, Deschamps uh, yeah. who obviously went on to manage France as well um, we, we just signed uh, uh, Ferrer from Barcelona and we just signed uh, Kazaragi. so oh, yeah. I was looking at this team and thinking we're going to go on and win even more things and then unfortunately you know um, the, the owner of Chelsea, Ken Bates wanted to recoup some money and, you know, I uh, accepted an offer from Leicester City for me for a lot of money at the time, £3 million pounds they, they paid for me to go from Chelsea to Leicester for a defender. It was a lot of money and a record signing for the football club. Um, a difficult decision to make, but I was always one that I couldn't see myself as being a very good squad player because I was, I was always one of them. I had the opportunity to stay at Chelsea, but be a bit part. You know, unless things went on my way regarding injuries or suspensions, you know, very limited playing time. And then I had to balance that up against going to a club where very much was almost going back to the beginning of me joining the Chelsea side and seeing the growth. I think I joined Leicester and saw the growth of me signing and then players that we signed going forward and ended up winning the League Cup at Leicester as well. And um, obviously you know, having a great career with them for six years as well. So I don't I don't regret the decision I made, but certainly I don't think there was many managers apart from Martin O'Neill that could have talked me into leaving Chelsea to go to Leicester City.
0: <laughs> oh, definitely. Excellent. And what we'd like to finish off with, um, I know your time is very precious, Frank, is um, just for those people who don't know what you're up to right now. I know we spoke off air before the podcast. Yeah. What is it you're doing right now?
1: So for the last... Um, since, since I finished playing football, I went into media, uh, worked at Chelsea for four or five years for Chelsea TV and was an, an, an analysis for, for the games on the match day. And off the back of that, I, I, I realised my passion for the tactical, the technical side of the game. And then went down the coaching route towards the end of my career, um, being my first job in, in management, was player manager of Colwyn Bay. Um, and I've done that for a couple of years and then went into various different coaching uh, roles in the game um, and found my niche was more in the youth development side of things uh, rather than senior management. And we know how difficult it is, senior management, you know, with um, the competition for work and managers, you know, the, the lifespan of, you know, a, a manager's career and how long you actually get as As a manager at one certain football club, I decided to go down the route of uh, youth academy work. So I worked at Oldham Athletic uh, in the academy there. I worked at Stoke City in the academy there with the under-23s. Obviously, my last job was at uh, Portvale as head of coaching, which I've just left. And I've gone on to... another opportunity to go back into non-league football but working in full-time academy work there with over 50 players that I look after on a day-to-day basis um, on a two-year scholarship and you know just finally enjoy still coaching obviously got ambitions to work at as high a level as possible but I I just love being on the grass and, and teaching kids how to do things properly and going back to my background of how I learned the game at Chelsea, I try and use that effect on on affecting young players that are in the game now or trying to get break into the game now. Brilliant,
2: Frank. I just want to say on behalf of myself and Andrew, thank you ever so much for coming on and being a guest on my best eleven pod. And are you still in? Are you still in London? Are you? Is that where you
1: are? Where you no, are you? so I'm based. I'm based in Greater Manchester now. So oh, okay, I settled up this way. I settled up this way since. Uh, my Burnley days, really, towards the end of my right. career. Um, and, you know, the family's basically been brought up in, up north now. So I do get back to London quite a bit to see my family and stuff. But we settled up this way and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm quite happy up north. I, ne- I never thought I'd say that as a Londoner. <laughs> but I'm yeah. quite happy up there. <laughs> yeah. But no, I want to thank both of you, Marvin and Andrew, for having us on to be able to go back and reminisce about you know, some of the great players that I played with and, and stuff that, you know, really mean a lot to me through, you know, memories in my career and what I achieved and that. It's, a, it's been a pleasure being on.
0: Excellent. No, thank thank you. you very much for your time. And that was Frank Sinclair's My Best 11.